Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Stripped by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am your host, Steph Sia. I have been doing this podcast for the past two years or so, and every week I bring on different guests to share their lived experiences and their stories about sex work to help destigmatize the industry because you know this sex work in general is just filled with shame and taboo and stereotypes <laughs> and all this all this stuff like we've all heard it before and i'm just here to try my best in terms of like debust debusting those myths and all those assumptions so every week i bring on a new guest and this week is no exception. Um, before I introduce our guest, I forgot to introduce myself, as I always tend to do. Um, <laughs> I am a sex worker. I am a digital content creator. I am also a, a former sugar baby. And I am also currently still stripping on stages of Vancouver, BC, Canada. So that's just a little bit about me. And you can find me on stage under the name Kimchi. <laughs> And okay, so let's get back to our guest. I am very excited and honored to bring on Cougar Nikki onto the show, who will be speaking about her experience um, getting trafficked across Canada. And we're really going to be focusing largely on pimps, um, their process, their manipulation tactics, how she was groomed into that, and kind of the normalization of that at that time, and what that kind of looks like today. So it's a really, really big topic, and I'm just going to say this here because we are speaking about this. There is going to be a very, very big trigger warning for this episode. As I mentioned, we are talking about potentially sexual abuse. We're talking about pimping. We're talking about human trafficking, violence, and drug use as well. So. Um, the whole nine yards. So if this is a trigger for you, this is your opportunity to press stop, um, press skip, maybe go back to another episode. And they have a large catalog of episodes. So feel free to go back and maybe skip this one today. But if you are here listening and you want to learn more about pimping in Canada and how dangerous and manipulative and exploitive that is for our youth, then please listen on. So without further ado, Cougar Nikki, are you there? I am here. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's so lovely to have you. And and thank you so much for calling in today. I know we we rescheduled from yesterday today, but like still very, very grateful to have you on to share your story today. Um, Nikki is a full service um, sex worker based in Winnipeg, Canada. So just a few provinces over from where I am and we connected pretty recently when I put out a tweet again on the privilege episode that was a few episodes ago now um who had shared like a five minute voice memo because I was like just do five minutes so we like other people have time to speak and then like she was just speaking and I'm like girl <laughs> you deserve your own episode <laughs> yeah yeah you know like when 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 I talk about my life and I talk about things um it, it is a very heavy subject and um, sometimes it can be kind of hard on me, but I do do, I do it because people need to be aware of the dangers out there that are out there for their kids. And specifically, you know, um, especially around indigenous children. Um, yes. My, my daughter, I have an indigenous daughter. So um, I try to um, educate her as much as I possibly can. My daughter, I'm very open with her. She knows exactly what I do for a living. 
And I'm very open about my past, about everything with her, because I believe that honesty, it's one of the seven sacred teachings in the Indigenous culture. And I believe that honesty is very, very important with our children in order to keep them safe. You know, when we sugarcoat everything in life, our kids don't, um, don't live and don't learn. They won't learn. They won't learn from our mistakes if we don't let them know our mistakes, you know? Yeah. Cause they'll get like a skewed view of what reality is. Yeah. And like, it's just great to be like transparent as much as you can. And, and Nikki, I I forgot to mention, I would love for you to speak a little bit about that at the very end of the episode. Absolutely. Um, We have time. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's how we got, that's how we got connected was with that. Yes, exactly. So I'd love to like loop it back from the beginning, but (laughs) We'll we'll make some time at the very end of the episode to speak about that in terms of like how to speak to your kids, how to approach the topic as well, and just being transparent about your profession. So, but uh, we had to start at the beginning. So where would you like to start? Because your story is so big and Um, there's a lot of components and chapters to it. So I'm going to let you take the reins here. (laughs) Like like I've spoken on other ones before, like my past, it, it, it started it it all started when I was a child. Like I am your textbook exploited person. I grew mm-hmm. up in a broken home. My father was extremely absent. He wasn't around. Um, my mom was a single mom who worked her ass off to provide for us. We lived in poverty. Um, you know, I always dreamed about having nice things and having money and having a nice car. And, you know, we always had those dreams as children, right? Um, right. I didn't know what real love was from a man. Like that was that was obvious at a very young age because I I like when I look back at my young younger age and I look at my actions when I was young, I always mm-hmm. wanted attention and I always wanted attention from boys and like it was so apparent that I was so starving for man like male attention. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because of the absence of your father. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And like, I've come to terms with all this in my life. Like I speak to my father now, like it, you know, we've gone, gone through all of those motions and all of the resentment. And, you know, I've, 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 I've told him all of my resentments in life. So like I, I started um, drinking and doing drugs at a very young age, like very young. Um, What's, what's young uh, for the audience? Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I started smoking marijuana at 11, 11 or 12, somewhere around there. I think it was my, it was, I was, it was the summer graduating into grade six. So I would have been around 11. Yeah. And um, um, so I started smoking marijuana and like, I'd already been sexually abused a couple of times in my life already. Like, Um, so, um, there is a very, um, strong connection between childhood sexual abuse and addictions. Mm -hmm. So as a child, I was sexually abused. Um, the first time that I can recall is probably around, uh, two or three years old. Um, I don't remember exactly what happened, but I remember the uncomfortable feelings and, Mm. um, I would have nightmares as a child and, then the, the next time I remember I was six and I remember that one, like, like it was yesterday. I'll never forget that. And, mm-hmm. um, um, it was, it was fellatio. I performed fellatio at six years old to an adult male. 
Oh my um, God. Yeah. I think, well, he was six in between 16 and 18. So I'm not sure if he was quite adult yet, but he was already making decisions as an adult. You, you know what I mean? So, um, so with that, and I, I hid that abuse for, for a really long time from my mother until my mom sent me to, I was abused again when I was 12 by my best friend's father. And, um, oh at that point, I was labeled a bunch of things in school because they didn't believe that it happened to me. It was the party house. We, he used to allow us to go there and drink and do drugs at, at 12 years old. All so that's us. your friend's father. Yeah. Yeah. And, and is that how you were introduced to, to marijuana and drugs? Um, to the party scene. Well, no, my sisters, <laughs> my older sister introduced me to marijuana, but I don't oh, hold that against her, but um, uh, <laughs> it, my older sister introduced me, but then we, that I became part of a group of us mm -hmm. where we all smoked weed and we drank and we would drink and smoke weed at this person's house. Okay. And I woke up okay. one morning and his hands were down my pants and he was Hi. doing stuff to my youngness. And I, the next, the following week I went to school and I told the social workers at school. And from that point on, I was labeled a slut. And I asked for it um, because, you know, the party house got shut down, right? So fucked up. <laughs> yeah. So I was bullied. I was bullied hard in school. So bullying is, a, is played a big factor in my story as well. Like I was bullied right. hard to the point where I, I quit school. Yeah. And then my yeah. mom, my mom being the single mom and, you know, at her wits end with frustration, was, mm -hmm. you know, my mom sent me to my, like when I was abused at 12, when that all came mm -hmm. out into, into, into light, my mom sent me to a drug treatment center in Yorkton, Saskatchewan for, oh. I was there for three months. Um, I was a ringette star at the time. So I had to like put my ringette career on hold, all of it. It was very sad. Um, yes. But I, I went and I stayed sober. I actually stayed sober for almost two years. Wow. After being in that program. Um, yeah. But, but the, 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 prog the, the problems with that was um, when you would go to Alcoholics Anonymous as a 13-year-old child, they would look at you and say, oh, I drank more than, I, I spilt more than you drank. Um, you know, they didn't take you seriously back then. They didn't look at alcoholism as a 13-year-old could be an alcoholic. Like, it was very taboo. It was very new to see these young newcomers at AA groups. Yeah, that's just like pretty like, oh, this is yeah, this isn't a real thing. Like no, you, you were like this is, this is a hobby, you know. So uh, so I stayed sober for two years and um shortly after I stumbled off of the AA train, I mm -hmm. um lost my virginity to a man who was in AA. Okay. Um, I was fifteen. I didn't lose my virginity till I was fifteen. And okay. I very shortly within, within six months of falling off that train, I was on the streets of Winnipeg. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Six months. And, and tell us about like, that's, that's so freaking fast. It was um, really quick. Um, well, like I said, I got kicked out. Like I, I quit school because of bullying. Yep. yep. So um, when I quit school, my mom <clears throat> gave me the option of getting a job or leaving the house those right. are my options so i i went and i was babysitting i was babysitting for this woman and okay. she had a at-risk youth 
or, or sexually exploited youth, we'll call it what it was, but back then it was rebellious, but um, right. she had a sexually exploiting youth living, living in her basement. So I was babysitting her son, Jordan, and um, the girl came home and she came home and she was all dressed up and she had a bunch of money and yeah. And I was like, Oh, and I was like, Oh, where did you get all that money? And she was yeah. like, Oh, well, you know, I just go down and I, I see people, men for money. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You're intrigued. You're like, what is that? Like, Oh my well, God. And I needed some marijuana. So I was like, okay. I said, well, will you take me? Mm-hmm. And, you know, coming mm-hmm. from a broken home, coming from somewhere where you didn't have self-esteem, not knowing what real love or anything was in life. It yeah. was, um, um, you know, I felt welcomed almost, you know what I mean? Like right. when I went out there and you're getting all this attention from men, you're getting all this attention from people. I really honestly went out there just to see one person to get my marijuana and never look back and get out. Yeah. That was all that I was going there for because, you know, it was quick. Okay. You know, I can do this. I, I could do this. Like I can do this. Did you ever like, n- like have an idea of, of the work of what it would entail? Did like, did she tell you, do you or did you kind of like have an idea well, already? What was, what's been- what was expected of me? Like she was very clear. We took yeah. a bus. <laughs> oh my God. From where we're down to track. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and she told me straight out, do not get picked up by pimps. Don't go with the pimps. Okay. But that's all she said. Like she didn't tell me that they would be like, manipulative and like she never told me any of that I guess she probably thought I knew but I came from Windsor Park I came from a fucking suburb of Winnipeg like of Winnipeg it was like you know predominantly like white community it was it wasn't you know it was it was very like it was a higher end community yeah so like you had no idea and like no clue no clue what I was doing like all I thought was okay I'll see someone and I'll just leave yeah you know bounce bye see you later take a cab get out of there you know oh my gosh and like sorry that's not what happened (laughs) yeah what what you thought would happen right like it's just very simplistic but like can you tell the audience like what track is for those who aren't in canada because it's a pretty global audience well track was a place we nicknamed it track because that's where we would go and we would stand Mm -hmm. for clients consumers demand predators Right. For them to come in, pick us up. We we yeah. had three tracks in Winnipeg. We had Kitty Track, which was predominantly eight to thirteen year olds. We had Middle Track, which was predominantly where I stood, and then we had High Track, which was where all the women with the furs would stand. Wow! And the women with the furs would come down to Middle Track and work Middle Track too. Like the pimps would send them all over. Really. Like yeah, and pimps would come from all over Canada to Winnipeg. They would come from all over the United States to oh. Winnipeg. Um, like back then, it was like a circuit. Like I, I explained it, it was a circuit. You worked the circuit. You would, you, if you came up from the states, you would do, you would do the the Winnipeg, Regina, Calgary, right, um, Toronto. Like you would do all of the major cities, and along the way, you would pick up girls. You would oh. pick up girls to add to your fleet of women. 
And then you would traffic them back into the United States. Back then, it wasn't as hard to get past borders and stuff like that, right? Yeah. yeah. This is like back in the 90s? Yeah. This was the yeah. early 90s. Right. <laughs> Holy yeah. Shit. So it was very easy. And because we were looked at as runaways and rebellious youth, we weren't trafficking victims. We weren't exploited. We weren't. It wasn't what it is now. Like, right. it wasn't at all. Like now, you know, you hear of somebody being exploited at 15 and there's a red alert. There is like, there's yeah. people looking for this child. There's social media now. There was none of that then. None right. of it. So I, um, my first night out, I remember my first client, like it was like, it was clockwork and I'm going to, I'm going to fast forward. I'm going to fast forward to about six months ago. Sure. I, a client came and saw me at my apartment and he was like, He's like, you've been doing this a really long time, hey? And I'm like, yeah. I said, I was trafficked when I was a child. And he's like, oh, he's like, how old were you? And I looked at him and I'm like, I was like 15, 16, very young. Yeah. And he's like, I saw you when you were out there. What? And I, went, I looked at him and I went, what? He's no. like, I said, I said, oh my God. I said, you were the first man I saw out there. Holy and like, I said, I knew you looked familiar because I don't, I don't forget people's faces. No. And I said, I knew you looked familiar. I said, you were in a camper. He's like, yes, I was. Holy crap. So he was in his forties when he saw me and he knew I was a child. Like he knew I'll never see him again because I just feel that that's really predatory and I, I predatory and I just, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But anyway, yeah. So he was my first client. Holy fuck. I, I came out of that call and I had pimps waiting for me to get out of that car wow and as soon as i got out of the car they told me to get into their car and i said no and they said get in the fucking car so as a 15 year old i was by myself my girlfriend wasn't there the girl that brought me out there she she had broke and broke means you're you a client has picked you up right okay or she had broke so she was gone and so i was by myself i didn't know anybody on the track all of the girls that were on the track were also pimped. So they were looking at me like I was, they wanted me too. <laughs> yeah. Fresh meat. They're looking at you. Fresh like mm. meat. And I was beautiful. Like I was uh, 15. I had a full, I was a full C36 bra size. I was 118 pounds. I was beautiful. And by the time they were done with me, I was 82 pounds. Oh my god. I had there was my bones were sticking out of my body. Yeah. I, I ate a bowl of cream of mushroom soup a day for a year. Oh my god. That's all I got to eat. This is so hard to hear. I'm so yeah. This is <laughs> so, like freaking my heart. So my first pimp was he was indigenous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember everything. His name was Keith. Um I was with him. He, he ended up, he, he picked me up. He gave me my first, um, taste of cocaine. Okay. Um, he told me it was marijuana crystals and he stuck it in a joint, mm. but it was cocaine. And I, I didn't know. And he sodomized me that night oh, fuck. because they, they, they fuck you, right? They, yeah. they, they have sex with you. Yeah. Like that's part of their manipulation, right? Yeah. They love you. Oh, you're the best. You're the best. You're going to be my main. You're going to be da 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 da. You know, they they tell you everything yeah. you need to hear. They, they yeah. tell you they'll if you leave, they'll blow up your house with your family in it. They know right. where you live. They 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 threaten you. They intimidate you. They play mind games with you. 
they will lock you in rooms. They, I was locked in rooms for days, like where I didn't see daylight. Yeah, because that is- isolation, like, can mm-hmm. really- they isolate you. Yeah, I went to the X one day with one of the with one of the ladies and with what the yes, Winnipeg Red River X. It's like a it's a carnival. Oh, okay, yeah. Room. She was like, "Do you want to go to the X?" And I'm like, "Sure." And we took a cab down to the X. I was missing for four hours. I came back. My pimp was waiting for me on track, and he beat me with a hip bag full of uh, quarters and dimes and nickels. Oh my god! Yeah, because I left for four hours and went to the X with another woman who was pimped by a different man. That was the awful. issue. Mm-hmm. Awful. Yeah. So had me for about two weeks before he sold me to his friend. That's insane. Yeah. Like, first of all, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like you are saying all these manipulation tactics and threats and everything that they're doing. And like that to me, like that was all in two weeks. Yeah. yeah this was within, within the first day, within the first day I was, I was brainwashed and manipulated. I was I, I was told that I if I didn't do what they wanted, mm-hmm. that I would be hurt. My family would be hurt. My mom would be killed. Right. Like they they really, really put it on hard. And as a 15 year old little girl, you don't know any different. You you're you literally think that they're going to hurt your family. Like there was a few times in there where people tried to save me. Mm-hmm. And because of the Stockholm syndrome. You, you go back like, you know, it, sometimes it takes a while to, 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 to escape these people. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so I was with, and then I got sold to in Kelowna. I will never go to Kelowna. Oh, fuck. Oh my God. I was supposed to go to Kelowna for a booking. Like, I guess that's time of this. Well, if his name's stay away from us. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he listens to these podcasts. It just, you know, it, 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 know. it makes me wonder what they think now, like of themselves. Like, yeah. like, how do you think of yourself? Do you think that you're like a big man? Cause you pimped children when, when you were, when you were a kid. Cause I wasn't the only one. <laughs> yeah, like how, how, how do you live with yourself after this? Yeah. Like we had wifeys, like my first pimp, there was four of us and we all lived in the same hotel room. And that's the fucked up thing is that hotel owners, this was in, they they saw it all. Like they saw every single, like I wasn't the only, we weren't the only pimped family in that hotel. All of us lived there. All of us underage girls lived because we were called underage prostitutes. All of us underage sexually exploited youth all lived at this hotel. It was called the Continental and we all lived there. And nobody batted an eye. Like, nobody cared. That's it great like, to me. Like, I was dragged through those hotel rooms by my hair, kicking and screaming. And nobody cared. No, they just, like, turn a blind eye. Like, there's, there's so yeah, much math working there. came knocking at the door. Like, Jesus. Oh, my gosh. And then when I did turn, like, eventually I did try and, like, um, charge my first exploiter. Like, tried yeah. to charge him. Mm-hmm. And, like, it, it was, like, nothing. Like, they... They honestly, they nobody cared. They, they, they made me jump through all the fire hoops. They made me, oh, well, what happened? Where did it happen? What was the date? This and that. And it's like, oh my God, I'm 15. Like, well, yeah. I was 16 at the time, but. But still, yeah. like, it's so, the, the, the system here in Canada is so backwards. Oh, it's disgusting. So backwards. It's disgusting. Like, how can these people so, do with this kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. So like, so when I, cho- when I chose the other man, so when he sold me, to, well, Oh, wait, I chose him. 
How did this work? So he sold you to. I, well, I actually chose him. Okay. So um, if you it like uh, so I call it I call it the the game like it's a game. I call it a game. Okay. It's a pimping yeah. game. Okay. So when you're a pimped woman or a pimped girl and you're part of a pimp little family, you are, there are rules. Like you are not to like back then there was rules. You couldn't look at other pimps. You couldn't talk to other pimps. You couldn't hang out with other pimps. It was very, obviously I wasn't allowed to hang out with other pimped women because I got the shit kicked out of me. Um, you weren't, you just weren't allowed. Like, so when, when he brought around, mm-hmm. he could tell that me and liked each other well just wanted my money but you could tell that there was a strong connection there so he allowed me to choose but he sold me to for i don't remember how much the price was but had to pay for me wow he had to buy me from but i chose so say for it so i there was another time i chose a black pimp Mm -hmm. his name was okay i chose him um he he got me Right. Uh, he he got me, but then my pimp bought me back. Oh, from, which was very, very. It was very lucky for me because I would have been brought to different places and probably trafficked all over the world. And mm-hmm. I, and I'm I'm really glad that I didn't go because he was he was actually a very very. Uh, he had a lot of women all over Canada. Oh my god! Like, so like he wasn't just uh, a, like I would call my pimps popcorn pimps because like they 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 were pimps but they didn't have a broad 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 spectrum of women right whereas a lot of these pimps from the united states yeah the united states pimps are are insane like yeah. they will they they had women from all over all over the u.s they had women all over canada they had women everywhere Holy so shit. and those women are the ones who turn into the exploiters as well they're the ones who recruit other women and yeah i'd love to get into that as well like mm-hmm. like i had to do it too i was a recruiter as well how does that work like how do you find new girls well when a new girl comes out on track you mm-hmm. go up to them and you and you befriend them and you pretend like they're your best friend you pretend like oh you know what you should just come and work for us you should come and stay with me come stay with me come yeah. hang out with me for a bit here, come, come here. Let's smoke some weed here. Come on. You know, let's go shopping. You want to go shopping? Yeah. Let's go shopping. Bring them shopping, bring them, show them this lavish lifestyle and then be like, yeah, it's time to work. So it's very similar. Like it sounds very similar to what the pimps were emanating as well. That's exactly what happens. You become the pimper because you're damaged. You're you have been you have been raked through the coals. You've been abused. You've been sometimes you've been humiliated, shamed, locked in rooms, starved. You know, so you're you're brainwashed into thinking that this is correct behavior, right? And right. like, so you know, okay, well, if I get more girls, then then I'll have more freedom, right? Right. I have more girls working. If I'm the main bitch, mm-hmm. if I'm the main, and I was main most of the time, yeah. if I'm main then all the other ones have to work harder. I see. So it's almost like a, it's almost like a pyramid scheme too, sort of. Correct. So you're like kind of working, yeah. you're, you're recruiting. The more you get, the more you get, you get, you get pushed up to the hierarchy of the fucking pimps. And the more you get left alone, the more you mm. get spoiled, the more you get, you know what I mean? Yeah, you, you love so, the ranks. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it, it, it's a sad reality. And, you know, like I'm not, I'm, I'm extremely ashamed of my behavior and the women that I may have hurt in the process yeah. of being hurt. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but you, you know, almost have to do that to survive though, because I, yeah, it was survival. Yes. Yeah. It was survival. I'm not proud of it. I'm not proud of it at all. It's probably why I don't touch on it very often. I don't like to talk about it, but I, I, I you know, it, it's needed, yeah. right? Like I, I can't just be this victim when I know that I was a villain as well. Like there, there was parts of my story where I'm not proud of, obviously. Like, Thank you, you know, for sharing that, like, it's not easy to talk yeah. about that. And no one ever talks about this ever. So no. I feel like, no. like we need to bring this to light just to show all the exploitation that's happening just, yeah, yeah so that's just some of the manipulation that they they play on you they make it they they pitch you guys all against each other and and you know it's not it's not that's not any different than what some massage parlor owners do oh yeah they pit women against each other in these massage parlors and these escort agencies and whatever because that keeps the level of control yeah. right yeah. You have control. Yes. And, and that's really important. And that's like really uh, a big aspect mm-hmm. of what I'm hearing from for, for the pimping process. Control yeah. and it's that power yeah. over you. Yeah. And like when I say that the hotel that I lived at, there was at least 10 pimp families. Oh my God. In this one hotel? and In this one hotel. It's it, it's no longer there. It's now the casino on McPhillips. Okay. But, well there is one hotel that's still around it's called the mount royal and that's right in the middle of middle track it's right at the corner of higgins and austin and so what women do is they would work inside the hotel and guys would come into that hotel and then they have rooms upstairs but like it's been many years since i've worked there like and i've never actually worked inside the mount royal i i only would rent a room and i'd work on track like this is after my pimped days and this is when i would still work on track every now and again when I was independent, mm-hmm. but, um, but at that, that hotel's still around. I'm not sure about the girls inside, but, um, there is still some hotels. There's a lot of history in Winnipeg regarding sex work. So mm-hmm. it's, um, yeah, lots of history Lots of history. because of the, because of the rivers, right? Mm, exactly. The fur trade. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of Canadian history, lots of colonization there as well. So yes. all yeah. of that. I yeah. wanted to kind of go yeah. into some more detail and we'll also continue your story too. Cause like you still have so much to say, but like, I want to kind of put the attention on like the pimps themselves. Like who are these okay. people? Cause you mentioned like, um, back then, mm-hmm. back then a lot of them were predominantly, um, um, African-American mm-hmm. and, um, uh, bikers, gang members, gang members for sure. Um, there was also European descent. Mm-hmm. Like there was a man, uh, Bulgarian, like there was a Bulgarian man who was a pretty, uh, heavy pimp presence in Winnipeg. Okay. Um, so, and his mother was also involved. Oh, his mother. Yeah. His mother was also involved in the pimping. What? Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Right. So, you know, um, it's sometimes a family affair. Not going to lie. Um, a lot of times it, it was a lot, a lot of black men in, 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 uh, in Winnipeg. Mm. Yeah. I wonder why that is. And I have heard some- like, I'll give you an example. There was one, his name was. Okay. He, he had like fucking 15 girls. Oh my God. <laughs> he got deported back to Jamaica, but, um, oh, 
but before that, like he had fucking Corvettes. He like, he made all of his money off women. And, and so did a lot of like, I, even to this day, I don't, um, I don't like to associate with too many gang active, like gang affiliations. Like, you know, the bikers, for instance, I, a lot of my pimping Mm -hmm. came from bikers. Biker gangs. Yeah. The biker gangs. Um, predominantly in Winnipeg because the weren't here yet. Okay. Um, the never pimped me, but um, the did. Um, um, so it was a lot of biker gangs. Yeah. Biker gangs, and it, which is really weird. Biker gangs and black guys. <laughs> Super random. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, so, you know, the white, the white element was, was a lot of the gang members mm-hmm. was a lot. Like it was, you know, and I, I hate saying, I hate saying that the, the, the pimps were predominantly African-American because I just feel like I don't like to bring race into it, no, but, but that's what, that's what it, it was, was during your experience. It was huge. It was, it was huge. Like I used to have black pimps come onto my street corner mm-hmm. and they would insult. They first, they would tell me how beautiful I am. And they would be like, Oh, m- mammy, mammy, you're beautiful. You're gorgeous. Da-da-da-da-da. Oh, look at you. Look at you. We could make so much money. I could, I could buy you things, buy you a house, buy you a car, buy you this, make you main. Da-da-da-da-da. And then when, when you, cause you can't look at them, right. Cause they're live. So, and your pimps nowhere to be found. Cause he's busy, you know, trying to, pick up more women so you're you're sitting there looking down looking down pacing back and forth looking down and then when they realize that they can't get your attention then they start to insult you you fucking ugly bitch you're nothing but a fat ugly whore shit like that to try and get your attention to try and get you to react because once you react they have they they pretty much have permission to grab you and throw you in their car if you look at them oh my god that's so yeah. And I've seen it happen. I saw it happen. I've seen women choose a man just for looking at him. It was this one time I was talking about a pimp. Mm-hmm. I was just talking about him. I was just saying, yeah, you know, he's kind of good looking. I told one girl on track. Oh. Within within two days, his bitch was down on track I, in my yes. face, in my face, being like, so I hear you want to choose my man. And then her man's driving around, just waiting for me to be like, yep, yeah, so that I can jump in her fucking car jump in his car and become his and he's still around to this day but he's not a pimp anymore now he he owns like a gym and he's like a um um he's like a uh he teaches muay thai muay thai oh really what the fuck like he pretty much made all his money off women's backs as well yeah. <laughs> jesus you know what i mean uh, so, i hear you um mm-hmm. so it's, 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 it's insane like i don't think it's like that anymore like like, it's not as open like that anymore. Like, I, I touched on it a bit with hers. I, I do believe that, like, pimping nowadays is more the drug dealers. Drug dealers are your pimp. If you're giving all of your money to your drug dealers and they're calling you every day going, hey, do you need me to come by? Yeah. Guess what? That's <laughs> your manipulative, too. Because they know that's your manipulative pimp. Right there, there we go. There we go. Like, when I was, I was addicted to drugs for a really long time. Well, not really. I'd say, say nine years. Mm-hmm. I like heavily. And, um, I was put on lists lists. Okay. So lists, like, um, I was put on, um, lists. Like I, like I lived at a massage parlor for like two okay. years. Like I lived there. So the, the, the phone was, I, di- I didn't have a cell phone at the time. The phone was my, my phone. Yeah. So every now and again, even after I was quit drugs, I'd quit drugs, but I was still working at that massage parlor and they still had the same phone number. Mm-hmm. 
the phone would ring and they'd be like, is Emma there? Because that was one of my work names back then. And I'd get on the phone and they'd be like, hi, this is so-and-so. I bought a list off of so-and-so and and your name's on it as one of the, one of the customers. Like it's a drug, it's a drug crack list for crackheads. Yeah. They sell these lists. Yeah. Yeah, they sell them in Winnipeg here. They will sell a crack list. They will sell a crack phone with all of the clients on it. And then they'll be like, hey, this is so-and-so. I bought this phone. Do you need me to come by? Yeah. And, you know, that, that's today's pimps, in my opinion. Um, yeah. That's today's. What, but, yeah. Do you see how I like to bounce? I bounce. No, well. that's okay. We're going to touch back on, like, um, who, like, we're going to talk about like agencies and stuff like that too. Cause I mean, there, there's some yeah. questions that came in later, but we'll save it for the end of the show in terms of like, are those yeah. like modern day pimps and stuff like that? But let's loop it back. Um, so going back to pimping, we were talking about who they are. Um, I want to speak about like the money situation. So you were making them all this money. I was making them all this money and they took every single penny. You didn't keep anything. You weren't allowed. I wasn't allowed to keep anything. Jeez. If I got caught keeping money, I was beat. If I got caught stealing money, I was beat. If I got caught upselling and keeping money, I was beat. They searched my body after every after every night. Like, uh, there was no way for me. There was one time I tried to hide money, and they found it, and I was beat. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. so it, I was beat every day. Like, the, it was every day, controlling me every day. Every day, I got the shit kicked out of me. Because a lot of times I would find out about my pimp, say, cheating on me because, you know, he was my boyfriend, right? Yeah. So I would buy. And so to turn around that, he would just beat me and like, like, you know, and uh, it was yeah very controlling. I was very abused for a very long time. Yeah. I'm hearing a lot yeah. of like common denominators here. I'm hearing like, obviously, their manipulation tactics, the way that they kind of sway you. I'm hearing um, yeah. cycles of abuse and threat. As well. And you know, they pray, right? Like in Winnipeg, like in Winnipeg, like I I stated before, in Winnipeg, the the average age of sexual exploitation is 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 anywhere from twelve to fourteen years old. So they're they're preying on on girls at Portage Place Mall. Portage Place Mall was a huge place to be groomed. There's actually like shop owners that groom kids. Yeah, they'll buy them things and groom them. Oh my god. Yes. And then, and then hand them off to traffickers. Like it's, um, yeah, it's twisted. Yeah. Winnipeg is, Winnipeg has a really, really, really bad, like there's so much poverty here. Right. So, you know, it's, it's not unheard of to get a $60 blowjob, $40 blowjob on track, $20 blowjob on track right now, as we speak, like, like girls are, girls are working right now in, in daylight like on track even to this day but that's what i mean like i i don't know a lot about the pimps and abusers now mm-hmm. like um i know i know that there's this i know of a young girl um because i do work closely with some people some organizations mm-hmm. i know of a young girl a very young girl who was actually pimped by women by a woman like there's a woman there's a lot of women predators in 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 winnipeg yeah for their own addictions I know girls that have that are in the business in Winnipeg who were literally trafficked by their mom. Is is, is that like or on like kitty track? Um, more or less. Um, here, you know what? Um, I want some more crack. Here, you can have my daughter. Oh, it's more shit like that. In exchange, like here you go. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there was one, there was one, there was a six-year-old found on track. A six-year-old? Six-year-old in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, strategically placed being watched by, by, by adults. Oh my God. That just, it's disgusting. Oh. And like, the thing is, is like, there's people that actually pick them up. That's like the most fucked up part. Yeah. That's we have a lot of outreach services in Winnipeg that, that go undercover that like literally sit in the shadows and watch the things happen. They can't actually intervene because they are, they are outreach workers that work with the police. So they have to call into the police to have things happen. Like they cannot go, like if they're sitting there watching at night and they see a 10 year old jumping into a man's car and then jumping out 20 minutes later, the only thing that they can do is take down that license plate mm-hmm. and 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 forward it to the exploitation unit. Right. Like they're not allowed to intervene. No. So that's what a lot of our resources do in Winnipeg is we sit and we watch, mm-hmm. we watch and watch and watch and watch. And we take down license plates and take down license plates. And that's, that's what a lot of the resources do here. That's, well, let's, well, why don't we transition to that topic too? Cause you obviously yeah. a huge advocate for protecting youth mm-hmm. because this happened yeah. to you and you obviously don't want this to happen to to anyone else but as you mentioned it's still very rampant to this day like right now as we see it so let's speak about back then, the pimps, back then pimps were like predominantly like i said it was a lot of gang members like the gang affiliations european descent like like right. strong european like with accents right. type thing and like um uh the black community mm. yeah yeah so like and they had booze cans. They had after hours where all of us would hang out at. Mm-hmm. They had, you know, there was bar nights, certain bar nights where you knew that's where the pimps were going to be. Mm-hmm. Like Monday night at the Grant, you knew that all the pimps were going to be there. Right. A lot of pimps, a lot of their hoes, all of us were there. I wasn't allowed to be because I was working. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to have fun. Like, and you know, I had fake ID saying I was 18, yeah, right? Yeah. I have actually a, a criminal record from my youth mm-hmm. that actually carries on to my adult life because I had I I was found with fake ID. So it's an alias, and aliases actually follow you throughout your whole life. Oh. It doesn't matter if you were fifteen. So the, sometimes they'll be like check aliases. Interesting. And it's like fuck because because I had one that said I was Trina Lively. <laughs> <laughs> so so my alias is Trina Lively, and it's like yeah because I got caught with fake ID when I was like sixteen or something. Oh my God. But I got caught with a stun gun. I had I had a stun gun. <laughs> Jeez. Well, okay. Yeah. Let's move over to um just like some sort of like resources. Like how did you get out? How did you transition into independent work? And yeah. um Yeah, me getting out is 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 a is a funny story because um so when I came back to Winnipeg, like, cause he had me, he had me all over. Like he had me in Calgary. He had me, he had me in Regina. He had me in Winnipeg. He had me all over yeah. like working. We would just go like touring, I guess you could call yeah. it. Yeah. But not, <laughs> but not. Yeah. It was just like, let's go to a hotel and put your ass on track type thing. Right. And, um, so it was mostly, I, I saw predominantly, I saw my calls in cars I like I I had a hotel room, but the hotel like the Continental, like in Winnipeg, for instance, the Continental was a 15 minute cab ride from track. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't going 15, 20 minutes to bring my clients to my room unless it was multi hours, mm-hmm. which I never got multi hours. It was always wham, bang, bam. It was always very quick. Yeah. Quick, 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 quick money. Always. So I was always in cars. 
I became known. So remember when I said I was a ringette star? Yep. So one of my coaches was, was a Winnipeg police, police officer. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Who happened to be on the vice unit and vice unit was the unit that, that handled all the runaway teens. Okay. Okay. Yep. So we would see the vice cars driving around track and we knew what they looked like. Right. So this one day I'm like sitting there on track in my big fucking stiletto boots. Cause I had stiletto boots back then too. I, <laughs> I, I look from the corner of my eye and there's my fucking ringette coach from two years ago. And like, I went to school with his daughter. Oh my God. So he fucking whips his car around. I run like I ran in my stiletto boots. Oh and my there God. Was a cab, yeah. And there was a cab driver that used to drive around track and give us rides and shit. And he was yeah. sitting at the corner. I'm like, oh, my God. and I <laughs> dove in that man's window and he drove off. But it wasn't long before Vice caught up to me right. and they would bring me because at this time, my mom had put me into a foster home because I was deemed a child in need of protection and my mother couldn't protect me. Mm-hmm. So they they told my mom to put me in foster care because it would be safer for me. Right. Okay, yeah. Well, the foster, the foster parent I had, she, I was put in an independent living home, which means we lived in the basement. We fit, we cooked for ourselves. We got like a, a, a allowance for our food and da, da, da. we had to learn how to budget and shit. Right, I was okay. AWOL. For, I was AWOL for three weeks. She didn't even report me missing. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Because she, she was pregnant and she wanted to keep collecting the check. And at, mm-hmm. back then you, if we, if you were AWOL with Winnipeg CFS, they didn't, they didn't pay you. Oh. See, I know all this stuff now because when it, at, later on in life, I became a specialized foster parent for the province of Manitoba. So this oh. is how I found out the ends. This is how I, 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 I pieced it all together. Like as a child, I was like, Oh, so that's why she didn't report me missing. Now it's yeah. all making sense. Right. Sense. Yeah. So, yeah. So she didn't, she got into lots of trouble because she didn't report me missing and I'd mm-hmm. been missing because they asked me, well, when was the last time you were home? I'm like, I don't know, three weeks. And then mm-hmm. they went back to her and went, well, why didn't you report her missing? Yeah. And, um, so, so what happened was vice from that f- time, from that point forward, as soon as I would even step foot on Winnipeg track, I was picked up and brought back to my foster home, which was like 45 minutes South of downtown Winnipeg. Okay. So it became, it became really hard for my pimp to keep me on track. Mm -hmm. So that's when he started like bringing me to different places. But then when I came back to Winnipeg, I got picked up, I got thrown into a lockup. And it was like, it was like a, uh, it was called seven Oaks and they locked me up because I was a runaway. Okay. But I was, sexually, I was sexually exploited. They allowed my pimp to visit me because he said he was my friend. Oh, um, yeah, it was. See, that's what I mean. Like, there was so many cracks in the system then. Like, I could have been saved so many times. Like, so many times. Like, this one time, um, this guy from AA, um, I was being dragged by my hair through the hotels and I got thrown into a stripper's room because it was a stripper hotel. Okay. I got because there was a strip club attached to it, centerfolds was attached to it. And I got thrown oh, into the yeah. stripper's hotel stripper's room the stripper was like she was going to take me on tour with her but mm-hmm. i ended up calling this guy from aa that i know he mm-hmm. brought like thinking that he was going to save me and help me yeah he brought me he brought me to a man who owned an escort agency oh my god yeah so i ended up just going back to my pimp that time Jesus. because it was like well, one exploiter to the end to the next right yeah no kidding hey jesus christ yeah. 
I ended up going back to him at that time. But then when I exited, it was, it was, it was pretty, I, I joined this, um, this program called turf. Um, training employment resources for females. It was extremely helpful. I've, I actually went through the program twice. I went through it once as a youth and I went through it once as an adult. Um, so the youth turf, they, they, there's a school right there. Like they, they, they school you, they get you a few little credits, you know, because you're not like as an exploited youth, you're not ready to be put into school with normal kids because you're not normal. You you're, you've just, you're oversexed. You've just been abused. You've just been sexually abused by multiple people every yeah. day. So, you know, so they have like a specialized program for um, youth mm-hmm. and it's like they, they work on um, boundaries. They work on schooling. They work on like healthy relationships. You oh, know, great. they, they try to teach you and it's, it's, it's a program and you graduate and whatever. So I went there and oh. That is, they, they allowed, (laughs) this is so fucked up. They allowed me to live with my pimp on independent living. So, you know, he wasn't done with me. He wasn't done. He was not fucking done. So I, at that point, um, he got me selling cocaine. Mm, Interesting. at, At this time, at this point I was 17, I think almost 17 years old. I was hanging out at the Marion hotel, I, um, I was hanging out with my, I was hanging out with my cousin at the time. Um, I wasn't ready to leave my, my boyfriend. Um, he was supplying me with cocaine to bring to the bar to sell. Yeah. I developed a really bad cocaine addiction, obviously. And, but I'd already dabbled with the cocaine a little bit. Right. And I, I, I had, um, I was, I was so thin. I was like, like so thin. Um, Mm -hmm. I, so I was selling cocaine. I was, um, hanging out with these people. Um, one of the last times that I was with him, mm-hmm. he beat me. He went into the bathtub. I, I, I fucked off. I left. I left the house with no shoes on. I you left see. the house. It was the middle of winter. I, I fucked oh, off God. on him. And I, I went to this house. I knocked on the door. They gave me cab fare. I went to my cousin's house who I was hanging out with. And she hung out with a, a group of independent bikers, not gang members. They were just like independent bikers. Yeah. And so they protected me. They saved me from my pimp. Like, because oh. all I had to do was tell them I wanted help. Yes. Because I never told them that I wanted help. They knew I was abused. They knew I was getting hurt, but they wanted me mm-hmm. to come to them for help. It I wasn't see. them being, taking me and stealing me and doing whatever. They needed yeah. me to be ready for the help. Yeah. So the minute I was ready for help, I, um, I saw my pimp once more. Okay. He came to the Marion to try and do his manipulation scare tactics. Yeah. I was, I was outside. He was beating me outside in the parking lot. My, my, my deceased friend just died actually I'm six sorry. months ago. Yeah. Six months ago, he came out. I never saw my pimp again. Wow. Yeah, never saw him again. He probably gave him such a fucking beating that yeah. I never saw him. I never, never saw him again. Next time I spoke to him was years, years, years later. I found him on Facebook and was like, I, I had to tell him what? that you hurt me. Yeah. You exploited me. I need you to know that you're a fucking predator. Yeah. And like, he pretty much, he blocked me. <laughs> yeah. Of course he did. <laughs> but he needed to hear that. He needed to hear that yeah. I was not a, like he was not going down in history as some fucking big pimp daddy. He was going down in history as a predator, and and you know I'll I'll scream his name from the rooftops. Like I, 
I, I am so proud of you for doing that. That's yeah. So that's how. So I went to turf. Um, the my cousin helped me. My cousin's also deceased. Like a lot of the people that did save me yeah. are are no longer with us. They're like they they died. Like you oh, know, wow. and and because this was years ago, we're we're going thirty thirty years ago, right? Uh, it's a long time ago, and um, so then I struggled. Mm-hmm. I struggled hard like yeah. after I exited and I struggled with shame not wanting people to know I was in a relationship with a with an independent biker man who had a Harley mm-hmm. and I, I you know was totally smitten and I realized that there was people that hung out in his group that hung out with my pimp oh so I was scared that they were going to tell him that I was ah, hooking, that I was a little hooker right yeah. But, you know, because I was ashamed because it wasn't sexually exploited youth then. Yeah. It wasn't, oh, you were pimped out. You were a rebellious kid who was a teenage prostitute. That's mm-hmm. what it was. I had people from my school that would come and drive around track and throw pennies at me. That's awful. I know. Right. Oh the God. kids that bullied me at school would come and thought it was just the, the funniest thing. The funniest thing. Oh, look where Nicole is. Look where Nicole is. Like, cause Nicole is my real name. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am mm-hmm. so sorry to hear that. Yeah. Like it must you know, be a challenge to transition you know, out. I know that some of those same people now contact my ads and want to see me. And I'm like, of course. <laughs> I'm not seeing you. Bye. <laughs> the irony though. Serious irony. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And they don't realize like, you know, are you, are you teaching your kids not to bully? Cause you were pretty bullying when you were a kid. Like, uh, well, speaking of kids, like you, you also have kids yourself. Mm-hmm. And, I have three. Um, yeah. Amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. I yeah know. It's, a, it's a work in progress. I'm not going to lie. Like my son, my son. So when I exited, at like when I exited and I found this boyfriend when I was 17, I was 17 ish. Mm-hmm. I lied to him about my age. He was like 25 or something. And I told him I was 18. And then I was like, Oh, it's my birthday. And he's like, Oh, so you're 19 now. And I was like, no, I'm 18. And he was so <laughs> mad at me, but whatever. He's the father of my son. My son is now 25 years old. Okay. And, uh, um, <laughs> he, uh, he was a good guy. Don't get me wrong. Like he was a little bit older than me, but, um, you know, he, he stabilized me. He, he, I, I gained weight like, cause I was very thin when I met him very thin. Like I was maybe 95 pounds when I met him. Wow. And so by the time I got pregnant with my son, I was back up to my 116 pounds cause he was feeding me meat and potatoes. And, and then yeah. I, I tried to live a normal life. You know, I like before I got pregnant, I I wanted to buy this man Christmas presents. So I actually went out on track and worked and made money for Christmas presents. And it just felt really good to not yeah. have to give that money away. Yeah. Right? yeah. Never, I've never worked without giving my money away. Right. So that was the beginning of, ooh, look. Yeah. I can make money and keep it. Huh. Like yours. So then, so I, whatever. So then I went on with my life and, but then I started to struggle. I started to struggle with the fact that I was bored in my relationship. I I needed more. I was working in bars. Like at this point, I, at at 18, I started working waitressing in the bars and stuff like that because I, I found it very equivalent to sex work. Like I would make money every day and tips 
Um, but yeah. with that, I, I had that cocaine addiction. I still had that cocaine yeah. addiction from when um, I was selling cocaine. So, you know, every time I'd go out, I'd still be snorting blow. Like if I went out drinking, I'd still be snorting a bunch of Coke. And um, yeah. um, so I ended up leaving my ex and taking my child with me. And I was probably, mm, I was young. I was, I had my son at like 19, okay. 20. So I was probably about 21 when I left and I, um, I was still drinking. I was working in the bar, working okay. in the bar, drinking once I, I, so I, I, I spent my rent and I'm a single mom spent my rent money. My, my best, one of my best friends at the time lived in the, mm -hmm. I lived in a threeplex okay. and she lived in one of the units and she was like, well, and she knew all about my childhood because she was my best friend during childhood. So she knew what I went through. Like there's a picture of me with a pager, like at her house type thing, because I had a pager and that's how they got a hold of me. My pimp. So I had my pager. So oh my she, God, um, <laughs> she was like, well, look, I have. I, I go to this place, you just kind of sit in hot tubs and you give people massages and you make money. I'm like, what? I'm like, what else? Are, and then she told me and I'm like, really? I didn't even know these places existed. Even when I was on track, I didn't even know these places existed because I was underage. I wasn't allowed to work in those places. Right. So, but I didn't know. I had no idea, like zero fucking clue. And no idea about any of these places. Right. right. And um, like, I, I knew a little bit about escort agencies, but I didn't know about massage parlors. So the next mm -hmm. day she got me a job mm -hmm. at the massage parlor and prost prostitution boot camp is what I call it. The owner actually passed away like a couple months ago. Well, he's, I, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wondering what's going to happen with that place now. Oh. Cause it's still around. Oh. Um, like he's owned it for over 40 years. Like it's been around for a long, long, long time. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. uh, you can't, you can't do full service there. It's only hand jobs and blow jobs. Oh. If you get so caught, you're fired. I, yeah. They quote 40, 80. There's, it's very, very, very restricted there. Like there's a lot of rules yeah. and they get you for everything for money. So it's very exploitive. Uh, it's exploitive. So mm -hmm. I went and I worked there yeah. for about a year and there I developed, I met some people and then I was, was partying really hard. I developed a, a crack problem there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, I gave custody of my son to his dad because okay. his dad had a nine to five job. I was working in the massage parlor. I was working in bars that that was my justification in my brain was oh. I was working too much. I was paying everyone else to watch my son. So why don't I just give him to his father who has a stable life, who works nine to five, Da, 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 da. that was my justification it was only supposed to be for six months um i was living with a i was living with a drug dealer and my son yeah. was there and i was living with a drug dealer and i gave custody okay. of my son um like or no i wasn't living with him yet i was living in the house i i was gonna be living i got evicted from that house for non-payment of rent i was moving in okay. with the drug dealer so i that's when i gave that's when i gave custody of my son to his father before moving in with the drug dealer because luckily I did because six months later that drug dealer was raided okay. and if my son was there I would have lost my child so yeah yeah 
So, you know, like people, people like oh to be God. like, oh, well, you were a drug addict. You, you never saw your son. I said, yeah, oh but at least I gave my son a better life and I, I did it willingly. His son, his, his father didn't have to come and rip his fucking, his kid out of my arms. It was willingly. I did it willingly because yeah. I knew my life was going down a shitty road. So yeah, from then, from that part, from that yeah. point forward, I... That I makes was a difference. When I gave up my son, that was it for me. I was addicted to crack for the next six years of my life. Every day. Every day. Spent millions of dollars on crack cocaine. Yeah. Millions. I woke up broke every oh day. Oh, my God. I lived in massage parlors. I was homeless. I had nowhere oh. to live. Like, um, I, you know, like, I didn't, I didn't actually sleep on the street because I used my body to stay in places. I see. Um, I I lived that life for about eight years because after the crack, I found crystal meth and I was on meth for about a year and a half. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, that was bad. So when I got back on meth, I decided it was a good idea that I would um, work in the massage parlor till 11 p.m. And then I would okay. work track till 4 a.m. Holy crap. Yeah, I was just, I, I don't know. I was oh, insane. I was, I, I, it made me lose my mind. Like, crystal meth, I only yeah. snorted it. I snorted very little amounts. Very yep. small amounts. Like, crack, uh, meth addicts who are addicted to meth laugh at my consumption. I would do, I would snort three points of meth every four days. Wow. That's, that's not even a gram. So, no. uh, so people, like, laugh at my meth addiction. But that little bit of meth that I did every three days or, or every day, but the little yeah. amount made me crazy. It made me psychotic. So I cannot even imagine people who take like crazy More. amounts of that drug. Yeah. I was crazy. I literally came up with conspiracy theories in my brain. Like I was mm. nuts, like nuts. And it yeah. took me a year to get my brain back. Like I, I, I ended up pregnant with my daughter. My daughter is now she's 15. She's turning 16. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. um, I became pregnant with her. I named her, her name is Liberty. And oh, I, I named her Liberty because she liberated me from my from shitty life. She saved my life. And she wow. knows that. I tell her that every day. You saved my life. If it wasn't for her, I like, I wrote a status the other day. It was pretty, it was pretty, um, it was pretty deep. Um, it was regarding pregnancies and being pregnant in this business and stuff. And yeah. um, I have had, over 30 abortions. Oh my God. Uh, I had 10 in one year. Holy shit. Yes. Um, I used it as a, um, unfortunately I used it as a birth control method when I was addicted to drugs. Right. Um, so when I got pregnant with Liberty, people are often like, well, what made her different? Mm. And the only thing I can think of is that by the grace of fucking God, I, I, she got me sober. Like what made her difference? Like why, why did I decide not to be a casket for children with her? Mm -hmm. You know, like that's how yeah. I, that's how I would refer to myself. Like I felt so shitty about myself with all of the, the babies that I did terminate. I would call myself a casket. That's I'm a casket for babies. That's what I am. I'm just a oh. fucking casket. Cause you know, the health, health people didn't treat you very well either. Right. Like they'd no, be like no, you again, not. you again, you yeah, again, like, you know, you. and and, you know, but the thing is, is can you imagine if I brought those kids into this world? Like yeah. I was so fucked up on drugs. Like it was, it was not a good time. And, you know, 
death wish. I've, I've not had any, any, like I have another child after Liberty. Her name's justice. So I've, I've got another child after Liberty that I kept because I couldn't go through with another, um, um, termination because yeah. there was no reason to, no, I wasn't on drugs. I was sober. Like, you know, like I'm, I'm entering into my, I'm, I'm 18 years sober. Oh, off of hard drugs now. Yeah. That's huge. That's, oh my gosh. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, don't get me wrong. I still drink here and there and, you know, sometimes I still fly off the handle with other things, but I, 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 I know my responsibilities today and I will never pick up crack or crystal meth ever again in my life. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, this is such a crazy story. Like, thank you oh, I so much for sharing. Oh, it. Like, there's so much in between, like, you know, like I, my story is, there's so many chapters to it, right? Like there's, mm-hmm. my story is in chapters. Like there's like my drug chapter, like that, that, that whole story alone is insane. The, the amount of abuse and stuff that I went through with that part, like, you know, yeah. I was in really crappy relationships, like, you know, not having normal relationships as a child and not developing that, you know, those boundaries as a child made me go into relationships as an adult that were very, very hurtful and very, very mm-hmm. toxic. Um, yeah. I was in a relationship for 15 years with a man who, you know, looked at me and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. And he said, well, I'm not getting a job. So you have to. So, you oh know, that's God. what you would call a Romeo pimp, right? Like, Jeez. you know, you can't tell him that though. You tell him that, you know, I have brought it up to him because we still speak. I have brought it up to him that, you know, like you didn't want to work. Yeah. And he apologizes now because now he, he works, he owns his own home. He does whatever, you know, but like back then it was like, we were so addicted to drugs. Like, like Mm -hmm. he was also addicted to crack with me. So we went through crack addiction together. We got sober together, Mm -hmm. but there was other things that happened in our relationship. I was never able to have a normal relationship. Yeah. And even to this day, I still cannot have normal relationships. Male, female. It's very difficult for me to have normal relationships because I, you know, I'm, I'm very gravitated to toxic people. Mm. And, um, so I really, I have have to watch myself because I, I get hurt easily by people that, you know, hurt me. (laughs) Yeah. And get like manipulated and like just exploited. It's just a cycle, really vicious. So thank you so, so much for sharing your riveting story. It was just like my, you can't see me, but my, my, my jaw was dropped for about half of it. So yeah, like it's, it's, it's not, you know, you got to really be careful with your kids. Like, um, you know, like, unfortunately we live in a social media age. So if you're face out with your children and if you're face out as a sex worker and you have kids, you, you better be prepared to have that, that conversation with your kids. Yeah. You can't hide that. Um, well, so my son, my son found out what I did when I was, um, when he was seven, um, my ex was, in a relationship with a very toxic female who decided that it was a great idea to tell my seven-year-old that mother was a hooker. No. That mother sucks dick for a living. Yeah. So my son, my son knew at a very young age, my son was very resentful. Um, I didn't actually tell my son till he was older. Um, my daughter, on the other hand, my daughter, um, she, I'm pretty sure she was told by her, her dad's side of the family as well. Yeah. But she never said anything to me. But I could tell that she was very, very interested in my job. Where are you going? Why do you have to leave all the time? 
I don't believe you. What are you doing? Like she started to be very nosy. And, um, so one day I looked at her and I said, do you want to know about my past? And she's like, yeah. And she was probably about 13. Okay. And I told her that when I was younger, I was in a bad relationship where the man made me do bad things. Yep. And, and it's called sexual exploitation. And she's like, I'm learning about that in school. Mm. And so I told her a little bit about what happened and about mental health. And she's like, mom, do you have mental health? And I said, yes, I have mental health. Mm-hmm. And then she asked me, mom, do you still do that for a living? And I looked at her and I couldn't lie. Yeah. And I said, yeah, yes, I do. And, and I told her I was an adult entertainer. I didn't tell her what I did specifically. Yeah. I just told her that I was an adult entertainer and that's all she needed to know. Right. So that really opened up a lot, right? That, that yeah. relieved her of me lying to her. Yeah. And that also relieved her. Cause I told her I was working with kids all over Canada. Like, oh my God. <laughs> I didn't know what else to say. And so, you know, so she, and so now my 12 year old, um, I've, I've opened up the conversation with her as well, because my, my 15 year old, for instance, I'll give you an example. She, one of her friends, we moved to a small town. And one of her friends looked at her and said, I saw your mom in a video. And she's like, no, you didn't. It's not my mom. She's like, "Mm, I'm pretty sure it is your mom. And she's like, nope, it's not my mom. But it was me. Okay. Yeah. See what I mean? So it's very, it's very, if you have kids and you're right face out on there on the internet, it's only a matter of time before those kids find out because their friends will find you. Yeah. And you don't want that to happen. You don't want your your kids finding out from somebody else. You don't want them finding your ads. Yeah. Like, that's something you do not want. You don't want them finding your Twitter account with 40,000 followers. Yeah. Like if you've got 40,000 followers and you're face out, if you've got 10,000 followers, if you've got 5,000 followers and you're face out and you have teenage children, they are going to find out. Find out. So you've got and if they to find out them. in any other way than you, then it's, then it's a toxic way to find out. And right. that in turn can hurt them and they can internalize that shit and start rebelling, start rebelling against the fact that you didn't tell them. Yeah. Yeah. Kids are very tricky. Very tricky. tricky. Yeah. That from happening. So like, I know like we've had, I had another episode um, with another, a, a dancer actually, who's a mom. And a lot of people had questions like, Oh, like, how do you have this conversation? But like a lot of the people that I have had in the show, like they've had, they've had really young children. So it's really nice to get your perspective with, you know, teenage and adult children. Yeah. How to navigate. Yeah. Well, I have daughters. I have two daughters and a son. So, you yeah. know, like I try to like keep my, my, my relationship with my daughters very open. I try to make the communication very open. I try mm-hmm. to tell them, you know, I'd rather you tell me than me find out from other people. You Absolutely. know, if you want to experiment with drugs, tell me, don't be just going and doing it. Let me know. Am I going to tell you not to do it? I'll probably try to, but at the end of the day, all of your decisions in life are your decisions to make. Right. Like I'm a very, I'm not a helicopter mom. I'm very into children need to make their own mistakes. I will be here to support. I will be here to, 
to pick up those pieces if things go wrong. I will never allow my children to be exploited. I will hunt them down and I will find them if anything like that were to ever happen. And I've made that very clear to my kids that, you know, there's certain lines I will cross. And those lines are if you're involved with gangs, if you're in a gang house and somebody is holding you in a gang house, I will be that mother that comes into that house. I am not a friend. If I'm meant to be killed by a gang member getting my child out of that house, that is how I was meant to die. And I'm a firm believer of that. So like, I'm a very protective parent, Mm -hmm. but I'm not a helicopter mom. So people often have said to me, well, what if your daughter wants to be a sex worker when she's older? Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's let's talk about that. If my daughter wants to be a sex worker and there's nothing I can do to change my daughter's mind, I just hope she's doing it in a good way. I hope that she's, I hope that she's, um, that she's using protection. I hope that she has people in her life that are going to steer her in the right direction. There's nothing wrong with sex work. There's nothing wrong with it. No. The only thing that's wrong with it is the way that stig- that that society stigmatizes it. There's nothing wrong with sex work. Nothing. 100%. And and you know, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be ashamed of my daughter if she became a sex worker and was retired in 5 years. Would yeah. I be re- would, would I be ashamed of it? Absolutely no. not. No. 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 You know, oh. obviously, as parents, we don't want our kids to suffer or to go through anything suffering. But there is yeah. sex work isn't all about suffering. No, it's not. There's like, a lot of- you, can, you can talk to women who have paid for their whole university education with sex work. Yes. You know, there is positives to it. My story is very negative. That, Like my beginning to it, very negative. But, you know, you look at my life now. I would not be where I am today without sex work. I travel all over Canada. I travel the world. I, I, I give my children opportunities they have never had before. I brought my kids to Jamaica for two months last year. Amazing. Like, you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't have been able to do that on my $15 an hour salary. Yeah. Like there's just no way, (laughs) you know, like I provide my children with opportunities that they wouldn't have before. I, I own quads and dirt bikes and side-by-sides. They have an amazing summer every year because I make it that way. Yeah. You know? So, you know, like, so like a lot of times when people hear my story and they, they think, Oh my God, she's had such a hard life. And it's like, yes, I have, but but I've, I've, I've grown into a beautiful butterfly. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I love my life. Like I like where I am today. And I, um, I love the freedoms that sex work gives me today. Yeah, you know, definitely. And it connects like, like you with me and like our, our yeah. like broader community, which is just amazing. So absolutely. You know, thank you so yeah. much. Like there's just You're a couple welcome. questions that came in. Like we'll quickly go over that. Cause I know we're already going run time i don't want to take up your whole day but um we we addressed a couple things already um that you already kind of went into detail in terms of like how you got away um but some questions here are actually kind of interesting so like um is there a difference between a manager at an agency or a classic pimp that is a very gray area so (laughs) if you're working for an agency and I've been brought this shit has been brought to my attention lately and I'm, I'm really disturbed by it, but there is some agencies in Ontario that if they won't hire you unless you provide bareback full service. What? Yeah. 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 I'm in the process of trying to find out the names of these agencies because I will have them shut down. (laughs) 
That's completely fucked. So, you know, and, and, you know, I've been thinking lately to myself, why would girls want to be performing bareback full service at an alarming rate? Is it because of these new HIV drugs that have been like on the market now that, you know, you take them and, um, um, if your partner has HIV, it blocks it It's HIV blocking drugs. So are girls taking those to, to go against their health and so that they can do bareback full service and make more money in this industry. I'm not sure if girls are putting their health at risk yeah. to make more money now. I'm not sure anymore. I'm starting to think so, but yeah. I can't be certain. I haven't actually, I haven't done enough research on it yet, yeah. but, um, so there's that if, if, if agencies are telling you how to work, when to work, um, no, you have to work. That's pimping. pimping. Anybody that controls you is pimping. Yeah. If you're being controlled by an agency, if the agency is like, if you're not going to do bareback blowjobs, if you're not going to do bareback full service, you're not going to have a job. That's pimping. That's manipulation. That's intimidation. Yeah. Right? So keep that in mind. I know, I know women that have been awesome agency managers and awesome agency people who are protective there for their women that, you know, were fair, you know, that only took a certain percentage, you know, like right. those women that are there for you, that protects you, that are there for you, that do advertise for you, that do everything for you, you know, that, that earned their keep, mm -hmm. then yes, absolutely. But it's yeah. those ones that are sitting there behind their desk, sending you on calls, not giving a shit where they're sending you, not caring, caring, not doing any screening, not doing anything for you. Totally sketch. Like right. I know. Some, uh, so there's some, owners of parlors that won't advertise at all, but then get pissed off at the girls for not making any money. Well, fuck, don't you need to advertise us a little? Yeah. What are you paying for? Sense. Yeah. No, you know, like, um, I've noticed a big uprise in independent women, um, purchasing condos and renting out condos for women to have safe places to work. I think right. that's an amazing idea. Amazing. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, or just a little bit more and for us to have a safe condo to work at instead of us having to go to Airbnb and risking getting kicked out, having yeah. us, you know, like there's so many little outlets now. Um, uh, if a massage parlor or an agency, like I said, if they are being controlling, if they are controlling your life in any type of way, they're pimping you. If yeah. they're taking too much of a percentage, they're pimping you. Yeah. If they're making you upsell, they're pimping you. Like I used to work for agencies where if I didn't upsell, I got fired. And so I'm getting sold on fake pictures. I'm being told to charge 200 an hour or 200 a half hour. And yeah. when they get naked, I tell them that's for a massage. Mm. And then I upsell. So not only am I lying about what I look like because they're selling me on fake pictures, but now they're lying about services and I'm still expected to come out of that room with $500 oh my God. for 10 minutes, for 10 minutes. Keep in mind too. So, you know, that's, so when I, okay, we'll go back. When I came back to the industry mm -hmm. after being a specialized foster parent for the province of Manitoba, when yeah. I came back to the industry, I went and worked for a massage parlor. She was my friend. I went and worked for her. She took 40% of my money. And that's what happened. She had like 15 ads on Backpage. She would make me, it was $200 a half hour. And that was for, I think that was for a hand job. So she would say complete service on the phone. Yeah. You oh, got there, you'd be like, it's complete service. It's a hand job. If you want more, it's a hundred dollars extra for a blowjob, 200 for, for, for sex. So oh. I'd be coming out of that room with $400 for 15 minutes. So like, you know, 
I didn't feel right doing that to men. Yeah, it's very scammy. Men got mad. You know, there's a lot of more bad calls in that predicament. You're dealing with men that are intoxicated. They feel ripped off. Yeah. Of course you're going to fucking want to beat the shit out of you. Yes. They've been watching they've been watching Grand Theft Auto and being able to beat the shit out of hookers for how long? How? Yeah. Let, let's just let's just, just beat her up because she's not even a person, right? Mm. So, you know, so I I think I worked for that girl for about a year and then I figured out all the phones, I figured out how to put ads, I figured out a back page, I figured all, everything out. Yeah. And then I just exited stage left and did my own thing and made my own persona. Yeah. And here you are. And here I am, but like, see, see what I mean though? Like she was taking 40% of my money. So like if I came out with that room with $400, I got 240. She got 160. That's nuts. That's nuts. Like another question that came in, which is a really interesting piece too. Mm -hmm. Like, um, are legal third parties, like my free cams, many vids, only fans, like club and spa managers and agencies, like, are they just, quote unquote, legal pimps? Like, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Perspective. Pretty much. Like, okay. So that's the thing that's fucked up is that nobody's supposed to be able to make money off of us. Right. No Mm -hmm. third party is supposed to be able to make money off us anymore, especially in the United States. I think it's really bad in the United States. That's why all of their sites were taken down and da, 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 da. So why is the government allowed to make money off us? Yeah. That's a good question. like, like, you know, so when, when, um, the Serb payments started coming out and girls on Twitter and people were fighting, there was uproars all over the place with, well, if you paid your taxes, but mm-hmm. there's a whole community of women that refuse to pay taxes. Cause we don't have labor laws. We don't have any fucking rights. Yeah. So why the hell would I pay taxes for what, what am yeah. I paying taxes for? Yeah. Is it going to resources for me? Is it going to help anything regarding my, my cause? No, it's not. So. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I'm not saying that I don't pay taxes, but what I'm saying is that there is a lot of women that feel that way. I feel that way. Yeah, absolutely. That's a huge thing in our industry too. I it's not a real job. So about. it's not looked at as a real job. So why should I be real? Totally. <laughs> but just, if you what? want anything, in, but if you want anything in life as a sex worker, and this is your only way of making money, the only way to get stuff in life is to claim your taxes, babes. There you go. <laughs> a good takeaway. Oh. But there's one more question here before I let you go. So um, how dangerous is it to let a customer know of your situation? So when I was pimped, there was um, oftentimes clients would look at you and be like, why do you have so many bruises all over you? You look beat. You know, and like, and sometimes you would, you would disclose and, but most times you wouldn't, you were too scared that you were too afraid. You were too afraid to tell anybody what was going on because you were afraid of the repercussions that would happen if they found out. Right. Like when they find out that you're talking, you get beat worse. Right. So there was this one man that I told and like, he probably could have, he probably would have saved me, but I, I, I didn't allow him to. Like I said, a lot of people wanted me to come to them and be like, save me, please save me. And then they would have done something, but there was no one that was just going to come and steal me and take me and save me. That's not what happened. That's not my, my fairy tale ending. It wasn't like that. It was, I had to ask for the help and then I got helped. Then I got helped. Mm -hmm. 
but you know, I'm sure there is some stories where women, like, I don't know, did you hear about that Backpage story with the, with the, um, that's one of the reasons why Backpage got taken down. No. Where that woman, the, the woman was looking for her child who went missing and she went to Backpage and found her fucking child on Backpage, her 14 year old. And she called the ad and answered the ad and saved her daughter. Holy fuck. Yeah. You should look it up. Yeah. No, I'll have to read into that. No, I, I had no idea. Yeah. 14 year old daughter. Uh, yeah, she, yeah, she found her daughter on Backpage so and, and saved her. Scary. Mm-hmm. Christ. Yeah, I know. I'm going to have to do some more research on that. Thank you for letting me know about that. Oh my God. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah. So like a lot of times you don't want to tell anybody because you're ashamed. You don't think anybody's going to help you. Mm-hmm. You're manipulated and brainwashed into staying like you're I, I, like, sometimes you think it's all good. Like everything's good. Like, this is just my life. I'm just going to go out and work. Like I would be on a track. I would on track sometimes at noon till four in the morning. Holy moly. Yeah. Wow. It was gross. It was awful. And you got to remember this was back in the day I was doing like, it was like 20, 40, 60. Jesus Christ. 20 for a hand job, 40 for a blow job, 60 for a lay. Back in the day. Yeah. I was used to being high volume at a young age. <laughs> oh my God. Nikki, this is such a crazy story. Like this. I know it's horrifying. I know. I know people, people look at me today and they're like, there's just no way. Like I, I'm just amazing. <laughs> you're so, you, have, you have such a head on your shoulders. Like, yeah, yeah. took me a while to get here though. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. It's, it's really brave. And like, just I'm, I'm, amazed, I'm amazed at your story. And like, I'm so glad you were here. It was with my listener. Yeah. Like they, dream catchers, like, like dream catchers is a big thing. Like if you're a Winnipeg sex, sex worker okay. and you're wanting to exit and you want a support group, there's a, there's dream catchers. It's through clinic with a K okay. there's Earth training employment resources for females through new dire- directions. Right. Um, there is SWAC. We have SWAC sex workers, um, activists of Winnipeg. Perfect. We have, um, um, there's the home project is for sexually exploited youth through Mama Way, Mama Wichita. Okay. Um, uh, we have uh, for women who have exited and who want to work with youth, mm-hmm. we have the um, um, child and youth care worker program the first year paid for. Okay. If you're experiential in Manitoba. Yeah. Um, uh, there's countless um, places. Yeah, countless resources. There's the 24-hour safe house. Um, there's there's tons of resources in in Winnipeg. Awesome. Yeah, for for people. I'll, yeah. I'll be sure to plug all of those organizations in the show notes. So be sure to peep it, take a look if you want to. Yeah, we'll we'll plug it in there for you. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise on that. But before I let you go, Nikki, where can we find you? Um, you can find me on uh, Twitter, of course. Twitter, I'm a huge Twitter yeah. at Cougar Nikki. Um, there's CougarNikki.com. Um, yeah, I'm. I tour all over Canada. Yes, predominantly Canada. Um, gonna be yeah. Oh yeah. gosh, amazing! That's where you find me. Thank <laughs> you so much. Like I, I could listen to you for days. Like that was that was <laughs> probably like one of the biggest and darkest episodes that I've done today. So like, thank you yeah throwing that perspective though because sometimes we get so caught up in like all the other types of sex work that we do that we do have choice in but yeah you know and i I really liked when you brought up the the privilege piece with with face out right because a lot of people don't realize that like being face out isn't always as as it's cracked up to be like i 
I'm going for a tummy tuck in March and I I'm thinking of rebranding. <laughs> Do it. Do it. I love that I brand. <laughs> Cougar Nikki died. <laughs> and she'll be reborn as question. She'll be reborn with no face. <laughs> You're gonna have to everybody will be like, that's Cougar Nikki. <laughs> Well, it was a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, it takes a little bit longer with me. No, that's okay. Like I haven't had a long form episode in a while. So this is like greatly appreciated. And everyone else that's listening, it's new episodes every single Sunday, wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget to like, rate, share, review, and subscribe. Maybe give you five stars on Apple. That'd be great. And we'll catch everyone in for another episode next week. Thanks again, Nikki. You're welcome. You enjoy your day. Thanks. Bye. Bye. You're listening to Strip by Sia. Hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia. Artwork by Maria Bellandorama. Music by Ted D. And photography by Ian Dabern. <laughs>